I am Eva O, and this is the Teaking Podcast. I have been a dominatrix since 2011, and I would like to spill the tea on my life. Thank you for listening. A man was once so upset to meet me, a dominatrix, that he went out and bought himself $2 million worth of watches to soothe himself. This was many, many years ago when I was about two years, two, three years into my dominatrix career. And I was in Singapore at the time visiting a friend of mine and staying with her. And she comes from a very, very wealthy family and moves in very wealthy circles. And we went out for a drink with this group of expats who had moved to Singapore for retirement tax purposes. They were maybe in their 40s, perhaps. And it was all very jovial, lots of wine, fine. But then later that night, we met up again. And the tone had focused more on me. I guess it was a smaller group. There was just two of those men as opposed to maybe six or seven of them. And how I noticed this was when I first got into the car with them. And one of them was fine. And I still remember him being quite gentle and sweet and even trying to maintain a sense of peace. But the other one... (laughs) I can't remember where he moved from or what his accent was exactly. It seemed like English was maybe a second language. I'm trying to remember his voice and how he felt. He was quite tall. He had darker hair. I think he might have had a bit of facial hair. He was a little bit bigger in size. And he sat next to me on my left when we were all in the taxi with my friend on the right and the more peaceful person in the front. And he started to question me. He had found out that I worked as a dominatrix. And he was asking me questions about whether I hated men and why I decided to do such a thing and and take such a position in my life. And I think I just tried to take it in stride. And I may have said things like, I don't understand why you would think that I would hate men. And he tried to make jokes about me and my being. He tried to poke fun at how I spoke and tried to find anomalies in what I was explaining or trying to respond to with him. And I didn't let this face me, but it was far more aggressive than necessary for this exchange. And now I realize, because it has happened a few more times since then, that sometimes I can do absolutely nothing but stand there and exist as a woman who doesn't cower at intimidation. And that seems to be extremely unsettling for some people and some men. 
And now I realize that it's usually because they feel deeply unsettled about their place in the world. And it has nothing to do with me. And it has everything to do with what the presence of somebody, a woman who isn't intimidated, says about the character that they've tried to create for themselves. Maybe a character that they are not necessarily interested in carrying on a deeper level. So at some point, he kept drinking and became even more and more aggressive. And I ended up excusing myself and saying to my friend that she was welcome to stay, but I didn't think that this evening was necessary for me anymore. And we ended up both leaving. And she said that she had never seen him like that before. The next day, we both wake up. I'm staying with her. And she shows me a photo <laughs> of this previous night's man's social media. And he posted two watches. <laughs> and she said, do you know how much this costs? And I said, no. <laughs> she said, about 2.5 million USD. <laughs> and I mean, there's some things to be said about somebody who can go and frivolously spend that. But then she said, I think he's done it because he's very upset. And she said it with absolute glee on her face. <laughs> and that was maybe my first major time encountering somebody who flared up at the mention of my job and at the mention of me standing behind my choice. So I didn't tell people immediately when I first started working as a dominatrix that that was my job. When I would socialize with people outside of my friend group, I told my friends but not really new acquaintances. Would I have acted the same had I started a, another job? No, I guess I understood that what I was doing was controversial or challenging in some way, even though I didn't have a train of thought around it in my first few months. But... I have had more time with it since then. <laughs> and now I realize that perhaps I didn't want the confrontation that can happen from mentioning the work. Confrontation around people encountering thoughts of their own sexuality. Encountering thoughts about sexuality at all. I think that we are discouraged to have those conversations freely, and especially when I first started around 2011, still. And it took me a few months to start to use the word dominatrix when I was asked what it was that I did for a living. And I remember the very first time that I did it. It wasn't as an explosive <laughs> 
an engagement as the one that I had in Singapore. But it was over a dinner table with new people. Two new people, one friend of mine in town from Hong Kong, and perhaps two others that I had met earlier that day. And on my end of the table, with my friend from Hong Kong sitting next to me, the woman in the couple of the man and the woman, she asks me what I do for a living. And I say, I work as a dominatrix. And her partner <laughs> immediately cowers. <laughs> I still remember it. He liked, she, he shied away from her and looked at her, the side of his eye, kind of like that. And <laughs> as if waiting for a response or I can't, I can't imagine exactly what was going through his head. But if I play it from my perspective now, I almost feel like he was aware of what the topic was. And he may have been into it. And he may not have mentioned that to his partner at that point. <laughs> and she... She may not have asked that much more, actually which I don't encounter so much these days. These days, there's much more curiosity, but perhaps I have also shifted the groups that I've been socializing in. That again was a very wealthy group of people, Australians. Hmm. I wonder if there's a difference there. Is there a difference in the ways that different social socioeconomic groups are communicating the different ways that they're hanging on to information the different ways that they're hanging on to protocol and ways of being the level of open-mindedness that they're willing to engage in hmm. perhaps <laughs> most certainly but that was a very fun initial reaction. My friends at the time, who I've mostly moved on from, also had some interesting reactions. Some said that I just should not mention it at all to their wives. <laughs> but they would ask about the work. Some were quite condescending. <laughs> there was a point in time when I had to go independent because my dungeon closed and I wrote my biography, my little blurb about what service I was providing and how I was or how I wanted to market myself. And it was well written. I've done some writing in the past and he finishes reading it because I am asking for feedback. And he says, reading this makes me really sorry that you've chosen to do this job. As if that 
my level of capacity in writing that meant that I was too good for this job of a dominatrix. And I didn't fully comprehend his condescension at that point in time. But I discarded him too, eventually. <laughs> and I think that if that were to happen now, I have more vocabulary around how to educate people about the reality of the job and about the intricacies that it can entail and about the validity of my choice. <laughs> but I didn't have that then, and so I just moved on. Hmm. It is an interesting filter, though, when you mention sex work at a dinner table. <laughs> to see whose eyes light up in curiosity, whose look down in shame, whose look around to see who's watching. <laughs> because they may have a little secret. <laughs> uh, I never did it to get a reaction. It's just perhaps something that I've learned to enjoy over the years and learned how to navigate, of course. I guess these things take time and they come with time. Mm. <laughs> I even had some friends who I'm extremely close with, who I've known since I was in school, who came to me and said that they didn't approve, that they didn't approve of sex work. And, but for some reason with those friends, one in particular, I didn't take it too much to heart. I think because maybe we had had such a long friendship and there were so many other things for me to focus on. So I never really sent her too many things about my work, but it became obvious as I became more successful. The articles, the interviews, she probably watched them and she learned. <laughs> she also ended up working with uh, the women's department in um, the social work section of the government. And I think that also informed her. And we never spoke about <laughs> that move of mind. So if you're listening, my dear friend, <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> but we've never spoken about that. So clearly, but it's been it's been wonderful to feel accepted. Some other interesting reactions that have happened also are from women. <laughs> a lot of the times they're very curious and they want to know what the clients are like and 
how intimate things get. Women are more comfortable with their questions with me. But occasionally you will meet one that might say something along the lines of, I would love to hurt men. <laughs> and it's never stops feeling upsetting because to do this job, it would be very difficult if you had animosity towards the people that you're working with. To do this job, you have to empathize quite deeply and accept, at least within the confines of a session, quite fully the person in front of you. But I understand what they're saying. They're saying that they've been hurt. And they're saying that they wish that they could change that hurt. So it's quite interesting. <laughs> I didn't go into this job thinking that all of these reactions would happen. I guess I'm quite naive. Or I was quite naive, or I am still a little. <laughs> but inside and outside of the dungeon, it's taught me so much about how much pain and suffering men, women, everyone are going through because of the way that society has structured itself and the way that how that structure has created expectations that people put upon themselves that they don't question until it kills them until it hurts them at which point they hurt others yeah, when my ex-partner suggested that I become a dominatrix because of my assertive nature, as a joke, this is not what went through my mind at all. I think the job itself, independently of my interactions with society is actually much lighter and more joyful. I think that if I existed in more of a vacuum away from society, I might just be blissfully creative in these moments. Hmm. But I think Maybe even the hardest thing about the job is managing existing in society, <laughs> existing in and amongst these expectations that I thankfully don't put on myself too much anymore. But if you want to exist in the world, a world that will put judgment up against you and change legislation to hurt you, 
where you'll encounter the pain of others because they see the freedom that they don't have in you. I'm happy to be on this side of that. But it is challenging. I think it's less the pain that I cause in the dungeon, more the pain that you feel. That you feel by not questioning why things are the way they are. By not questioning why you've made the choices you have until it's too late. That said, I'm sure some people go to their graves ignorant of that. And maybe that feels quite good. Maybe it feels quite good for some people not to question. But if they don't leave room for the questions of others, I think maybe that's when we start to see oppression begin. <laughs> uh, so what was this episode supposed to be about <laughs> or what is it forming to be <laughs> yeah this job has taught me so much and it brings me great joy and it shows the cracks <laughs> in our lives in a way I couldn't have imagined. The way that people flare up at the mention of sexuality and intimacy. What are they afraid of, right? Do they even know? They want to control where that belongs in a conversation, in their lives. Why is that? Is it because somebody once told them so and now they're telling themselves that that's the way it is? Why did somebody tell them that? Who did it? Historically, who did it? Is it the government now? Well, let's start smaller. Is it your family? Is it your community? Is it your church? What's in their interest for that to be? Is it a control? How you feel, how you think, how you act, how you feel liberated, and how you could use that to move away from those institutions. Did I think about things this way before my job? Maybe a little bit, which is probably why I was able to step into a job that remains somewhat still controversial. But being within it and seeing the reactions that come my way has been so telling. And perhaps that's also why I bother 
doing all the interviews, sitting here, doing this, communicating. Because even though I'm pretty damn happy <laughs> on my own, in my own little world, it's, it's a problem that people are not free to sink, that they're afraid to sink. I think it's a problem. And I'm quite happy to be available to be an instigator against that in some way, perhaps. I guess it gives me purpose in some way also. Oh, do I like to antagonize? Perhaps. It sounds juvenile to me when I put it that way. But where does that judgment come from in me too, right? <laughs> it's never ending, I guess, when you have this many questions. <laughs> but I think that it's a more thorough way to engage with and execute the limited resource of life that I have, that we have. It makes me want to talk about what I think is of meaning, what I think is of purpose, the creation of purpose. That's such a huge thing. All I was talking about was a sad man spending his grossly accrued wealth on his sadness, on his vacuum. <sighs> that was a lot. So maybe I'll end it there. Yeah. Thank you for listening. I'll speak to you next time.